Look at my butt. At last, show number 263 of Look at His Butt, LTNJK Talk Track. Well, listeners, it's summer. Suddenly, it's summer. It wasn't summer before, and then a few days happened, and now at my house, it's over 100 degrees, which is completely insane. It's insane. So... Here we are in the depths of summer, and it's only the beginning of June, and we have so much Bill news to tell you about. It's kind of crazy. Well, and I have to say, here in Chicago, we had the crappiest May. We had the most rain in a single month ever recorded in Chicago. Wow, that's amazing. We had like, we had like three or four days when it didn't rain. Um. We've had a couple really nice days in June, but in general, it's been crappy, although not as crappy as May. So, mm-hmm. so that's what's going on. Ah, the weather. You know, I, I have to say, uh, I am pleased to see that people are revising even the term global climate change, which has taken an awfully long time to come into common usage, and are now yes. saying global climate catastrophe. Yes. <laughs> because it is. That is what it is. It is. So let's call it what it is. All right. Anyway, let's talk about Bill because Bill. Okay, let's talk about Bill. So Bill's been shilling for a hell of a lot of stuff recently. Oh, I know. He's everywhere. He's all over the place. I see him on TV. I see those commercials on Heroes and Icon for the oxygen thing that he's yes, doing. Yes. You know, he says, I had a very close friend who had... Uh, chronic obstructionary pulmonary disease and every time he says it I go Leonard Nimoy because he's not allowed to actually say that in the commercial oh okay but we all know we all know we all know yes Yes. but now he's doing a commercial for another thing which I saw on tv again and it's for a c excuse me a CPAP cleaner yes have you seen the commercial for that the actual tv commercial um I saw them online I saw two of them online okay um, I, I was aware of this device like over a year ago. Oh, really? See, I didn't even know it existed. Oh, yes, yes. And then I went, oh, Bill is shilling for it. And it was like, and you can get a discount. I thought, I would love that. I hate cleaning the CPAP. Mm-hmm. It's over $300. <gasps> wow. Okay. Well, that's a lot of money. Do you think Bill mm-hmm. could get us a discount? Because I'd get one if he would buy one for me. Well, maybe uh, it w- maybe he will um, have a contest. <laughs> that would be good. So the thing is called So Clean uh, with no space in between the words so and clean. Yes. And yes. if you haven't seen the commercials, they are actually quite funny. He sort of magically appears in someone's house and is telling this guy, here's why you should get this. And then uh, when the guy goes to sleep at night, Bill climbs into bed next to him and pulls the covers over his head. Which I know. I love that. <laughs> What I really like, I'm looking at a journal called The Sleep Review, the journal for sleep specialists, and they have this information. William Shatner is so clean, spokesperson and ambassador. So he's not just the spokesperson. He's the ambassador as well. And the thing leads off by saying actor and comedian William Shatner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is he a comedian? Is that a new thing? Is that a new media that he's conquered or a new title that he, he suddenly has? I guess. I never thought of him as a comedian per se. I thought of him Mm -hmm. as a comedic actor at parts, but apparently he's a comedian now. All right. Yeah. So the reason that... Another media conquered. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, The reason he's shilling for this is that he uses a CPAP machine. So he's in the club with us. And he says, after I was diagnosed with sleep apnea 10 years ago, my CPAP machine changed my life, Shatner says, but I never really understood how important it was to clean it every day to prevent germs and bacteria. That's why I love my SoClean. It makes it simple to keep the CPAP sanitized. So there you go. Um, He is airing these commercials on TV. He's online. He's doing this. Uh, presumably, they gave him a lifetime supply of SoClean machines, and I think <laughs> he should give us one, because I would like to have one. Give us each one. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> Not just one that we share, like one for each of us, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be okay. Um, and speaking of Bill Schilling, mm-hmm. um, this, uh, I happened to run across on his Twitter feed, this was a few weeks ago when um, he was authenticating things. 
Oh, Did yeah. Did you hear about right. that? Yes, I heard that. Yes. And somebody said something about, oh, Bill, it's great to see you shilling. And he said, sweetheart, I don't shill. I authenticate. <laughs> sure. Sure, yeah, Bill. well, maybe for that one product, maybe he can get away with saying I authenticate. But this is shilling. This is absolutely shilling. You know, it made me think now that he's getting up there and he's doing commercials for things like oxygen machines and CPAP mm-hmm. cleaners. Are we going to see Bill doing shilling for like walkers or, um, you know, the hurricane or what other things do they advertise for old people, you know? Well, you know, there's where they'll deliver um, depends to your house in a <laughs> brown paper wrapper so your neighbors have no idea what it is. Oh, my and, God. Uh, uh, you you know, know, I I really hope that he doesn't end up doing commercials that I always see on Heroes and Icons or the Cozy Channel for, like, what is it? We'll send a supply of catheters to your house. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Those commercials just blow my mind that they just advertise them on TV, you know? It's like, sure, that's a thing. That's a thing that people need, catheters. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So so let's talk about the other thing that Bill's authenticating because it's far more problematic for me than a CPAP sanitizer, which sounds like a good thing. Well, yeah, it it is kind of problematic and... um, well, go ahead, introduce oh, this topic. Sure. This, well, I this saw, is a mind blower. This I only saw this first because Bill tweeted about it. And he mm-hmm. said on Twitter that he had gotten stem cell treatments. Yes. And the reason that he said it was to uh, promote rejuvenation, to mm-hmm. slow down or reverse some of the effects of aging. And yes. he said the name of the company, which is uh, Pro Progena Cell, mm-hmm. and that's the company that makes the stem cells. And then the company that actually does the uh, treatments, I guess, is, uh, I have to find it. It has a name, um, Inventix, I think it's called. Invitrix. Invitrix, I'm sorry. Or so Invitrix. It, yeah, and maybe it's like Invitrix. That. I don't know. It's one of those pharma names. Hard to say how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. He tweeted that, and a lot of people jumped on him for it, rightly so. The coverage in most of the outlets I saw was pretty credulous. You know, oh, Bill's doing this, and I guess that's okay. But I wanted to bring up some coverage I saw that was a lot more critical. So I didn't know if if you had a specific thing that you wanted to uh, talk about or read, but I definitely have something I want to cite. Well, I just want to quickly push my theory. Oh, please, please. Um, as we know, and Bill has been saying this openly in interviews for a couple of years now, he fears death. Mm-hmm. I think as he gets closer to that point, he has found something else to fear, mm. which is becoming feeble. Mm-hmm. And he has said he can no longer ski because he has two artificial hips. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's going... What do I do when the day comes when I can't ride? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that. that and I'm sure that was part of his decision. And it may turn out to be grasping at snake oil. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you are, I don't know, that, that afraid and, you know, want to hang on absolutely as long as you can to be as close to as vital as you have ever been, instead of just deteriorating... I'm just hoping these things do not have horrible side effects. Yeah, that is a a huge concern because there have been a lot of cases of people having really, really bad reactions where Mm -hmm. they've gone to clinics that weren't sterile, that were using tainted uh, concoctions that they were infusing. I mean, because this stuff is like, it's Mm -hmm. not like getting a shot. It's like they're infusing it into your bloodstream in some cases. It's not something you do lightly. And sometimes, especially in countries outside of the U.S., you don't quite know what they're putting into you because they're not mm-hmm. licensed medical clinics. They're they're set up outside. Well, even here in the U.S., can you get a license oh, for that? Is this approved? Uh, not really. Uh, they, I didn't think so. No. They have an approved treatment center in Los Angeles, it says. Now, it mm-hmm. doesn't say what it's approved for, right? Or so, who approved it? Does or it who, say if, it, is it FDA? Uh, I don't know. I haven't gone to the website. So I wanted to just read some stuff from an article 
that appeared on a site called Respectful Insolence. I might have mentioned this before, and it's yeah. And you sent me the link, so I read it too. But yeah, now you can read it to our listeners. (laughs) The guy who writes this is a cancer doctor. And he's smart, and he got into, that's right, we did talk about this. He got into a little argument with Bill last year about (laughs) um, Bill's support for one of the autism charities that's called Autism Speaks. And Mm -hmm. Autism Speaks isn't great because they don't have any actual autistic people on their board. And they very much portray autism as like a thing that has to be cured rather Mm. than, you know, let's accept neurodivergent people and just support them. It's like, this is the worst thing, and so we need to stamp it out, which is not a very good way to approach it and he got into well and that's what that fear of this Mm -hmm. being the worst thing that can ever happen to you or your family is what drove the anti-vax thing yes exactly yes so the company that makes the stem cells the pro progena cell or progena cell they unfortunately advertise their products as being good for things that they're not actually good for or basically have no evidence that they're good for them So you can go there and the treatment centers offer detoxification therapies, which Mm -hmm. is basically meaningless. Like, what does that mean? Detoxification is like basically nothing. Um, Diet guidelines during cell therapy, nutritional guidelines, nutraceuticals, which is also kind of a red flag. Um, And they say that they could treat people who have autism with stem cells. Ooh. which is really pretty bad. Um, That's a pretty broad set of claims, too. A really broad set of claims. Um, they say that they can treat Parkinson's disease, stroke, cerebral palsy, traumatic brain injuries. None of these things have had any evidence for stem cell therapy mm. working. Well, I know there is, a, among legitimate researchers, there is always very high hopes for the things mm. stem cells can do. Sure. But they are exploring it before they you know shout it from the rooftops mm-hmm. and uh you know they're pretty pretty um conscientious about saying we are testing we are investigating we are not saying call us and we'll we'll send you a bottle of pills you're all set you know mm-hmm. exactly so they're making huge huge claims here and the autism one in particular is just outrageous to me because there is absolutely no evidence that you can, I mean, autism is a genetic disease. You're born with it. It affects you mm-hmm. your entire life. And it's not some kind of weird death sentence or something. People have it to greater or lesser degrees. We need mm-hmm. to support them. It's not a thing you can cure. It's not a thing that you can make better with some magic treatment. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. all about support and, and getting, you know, helping to people yeah. to regulate and modify their behavior. Maybe one day... There might be something that might help, but right now we just don't think that it's even possible. Mm-hmm. So to offer it to people as this, you know, last ditch attempt, oh, my, my poor kid's autistic, I'll get stem cell therapy and then they'll be normal because that's the most important thing is mm-hmm. really icky to me. And I'm, I feel very bad that Bill's associating himself with yeah. people who say things. Yeah. So a dubious practitioner, um, and again, absolutely no evidence at all that stem cells can help aging. Mm-hmm. It, there just isn't. There, there's yeah. no evidence that this is going to help. It's just a, a what if, like, sure, let's study it. Let's go out there and see if it does make a difference. But right now, zero evidence that it would help. Well, here's my advice to Bill. <laughs> Don't do it. Well, that. But I'm going <laughs> to offer an instead of. Uh-huh. Uh, get a prescription for lidocaine patches. Mm-hmm. They are very good for pain. And get a good moisturizer. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And as far as I'm concerned, that's about it, you know, right now. Yeah, get some sleep. I mean, we would all love, you know, for this miracle silver bullet that cures everything. But even if, you know, they find it does have certain benefits. It's not going to cure everything. No, it absolutely is not. Oh, it's it's really kind of, it's frustrating. And Bill being Bill, I don't think there's anybody who could talk any sense into him about that. Mm-hmm. The- well, and, you know, people who um who are acting out of fear are mm-hmm. very easy marks for 
people like this, who I think is probably a crook or, you know, and uh, Fox News and all the other things that people are, that are preying on people's fears. Mm-hmm. Sadly, the guy who is the CEO uh, of this company, Progenicel, is a friend of Bill's. So yes, I, 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 and that made me even angrier. Like, oh, he, he says he's your friend and he's pushing, pushing this dubious treatment on you. Like, mm-hmm. that's not what friends do. No. I, and no. this guy has got to know that these treatments aren't proven. You know, he may be a true believer, but he's got to know that there's no evidence for the things that they're doing, that it's just wishful thinking. Well, here's the thing. I think it's possible that Bill knows it's not proven. But he's 88, Mm -hmm. and he wants whatever life he's got left Mm. to be worth living, worth his idea of living. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, so if it it kills me, you know, what have I lost? If it helps, I've gained a lot Mm. because he, he knows it's coming up. I know. I, I hope this doesn't lead him down the path to scarier and potentially damaging things. You know, if he's 88 mm-hmm. now and he's got another, I don't know, 15 years left, let's say conservatively, because Bill seems like he's going to be going forever. You know, let's it, hope. Let's hope. <laughs> it would be nice for him to be able to have those years in relative comfort and not have it be awful or have Mm -hmm. it be cut short because of some stupid thing that he decided to do as a a desperate measure to stave off aging. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to read the last part of this article at Respectful Insolence because I thought it was really good. Okay. Here we go. A couple paragraphs. Uh, the author says, uh, which brings us back to William Shatner. He just turned 88. He's a very good 88, still functioning, still appearing on TV, still tweeting, still writing books, still doing his charity work, but he's still 88, which is old. I don't know what sort of chronic health conditions he might have, but at his age, it's highly likely that he has at least a couple. So it's very understandable. He might be tempted to try to turn back the clock. The problem is it won't work. I also don't know how much or if William Shatner paid for his stem cell therapy. I say Mm -hmm. if because I know of at least one celebrity, Gordie Howe, who was given stem cell therapy basically so his family would promote the company and they treated him for free. I note that Shatner's tweet is tagged as an ad, which makes me wonder if the same sort of dynamic is going on here. In the interest of transparency, Mr. Shatner should disclose whether he paid regular price for the treatment and if he received any conference compensation for posting that tweet my guess is that he did Mm -hmm. not that any of this will change shatner's fans attitude the responses to his tweet above were overwhelmingly positive and credulous complete with photos of william shatner when he was young with comments added about how that's what he'll look like when he wakes up along with along with more than a few expressing a desire to be like him and get some stem cells Few indeed were any responses showing an iota of skepticism. Of course, that was the point. This is an ad, and I wouldn't be surprised if it isn't long until William Shatner is the celebrity spokesperson for Progena or some other stem cell clinic. It's a shame, but I expect to see more of this. Mm. So, yeah, there's that. I mean, he, he brings it up in here also that maybe he didn't get it. It's possible that he said he got stem cell treatments, but maybe he didn't, and he's just saying he did. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, I don't like yeah. this. I don't like this at all. Doesn't I don't like the happy. idea of anybody injecting unknowns. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's just not good. So um, we'll continue to see what's going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, see if he says anything else. If he does end up being the official spokesperson, I will be hugely disappointed with him. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yep. So, anyway, <laughs> on that happy note. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's uh, let's talk about something else let's talk about something else let's talk about ticonderoga because that's a okay good thing to talk about okay so, um this past weekend bill was in ticonderoga doing the star trek 
tour again, the set mm-hmm. tour. And the Okudas were there and some other folks were there. And I've seen photos on Facebook of people posing with him. He looked pretty good. Um, I think he's got a different toupee now. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like it's got a lot more gray in it. Oh. You know, kind of a blondish gray color. Um, because for a while there, he was keeping to sort of the salt and pepper look. But I think he's going for a, a slightly different color. It looks pretty good on him. Uh, but it seemed like everybody had a great time. They said he was in a good mood. He was happy. He was talking. He was posing for pictures with people. And people were just raving and out of their minds over how good that tour is, which made me really, really want to go. Oh, wow. <sighs> so, I don't know. I feel like I, I got to make that happen at some point. But, yep, yeah, it, it was a, a big treat. And he says he's going to go back. He says he's going to keep doing it again. Wow. Yeah. That's... Well, you know, who knows? Maybe we should inject some stem cells into our bank accounts so we have enough money to do all these things. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, uh, it's for me, honestly, it's not even the money so much as it's, it's fucking Ticonderoga. <laughs> I know? know. If it was just a place that was easier to get to, that wasn't going to be a plane ride and then you know, hours in the car and being far away from everything, mm-hmm. that, that would make it a little more palatable. But maybe we should think of it as a, you know, like a, a Pilgrim's Progress sort of thing where, oh God, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, we're paying, we're paying our dues to get to this place. And then we get the big reward at the end, which is we're actually on the bridge of the Enterprise with William Shatner. Yep. That would be okay. <laughs> Oh, that would be funny. So um, if people have heard anything else about the tour, like, I don't know, listeners, if you were there, let us know what's going on. If you if you were there or if you've seen pictures or you heard any other good stories. I don't think Bill was tending bar this time uh, the way he was uh, at the previous thing. But it seemed like people had a really, really good time. And it was for those people who went, it was absolutely worth the money. Mm hmm. Wow. Well, we shall see what we can pull off. And yeah. uh, Not this year, though, because we're going on a cruise. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I want to I move on. Yes. Let's do To that. this article from the Smithsonian Magazine. Yes. About the women who coined the term Mary Sue. What a wonderful article this is. And I can't believe it was in the Smithsonian. So cool. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> So um, it, it's it's just fascinating to read uh, that women are Paula Smith and Sharon Ferraro. Yes. And they were the publishers, editors, whatever you want to call them, of one of the earliest Star Trek fanzines. Mm-hmm. And they started to see a pattern to what they were submitting, that they were getting a number of these type of stories that we now call Mary Sue's because mm-hmm. of them. And they coined the term to have a shorthand for Oh, look what we've gotten today, three Mary Sues, you know, or whatever, just like any other, you know, type of fiction. And uh, <clears throat> and uh, they say, you know, they, they were just placeholder fantasies. And uh, then they talk about there were um, there were some very good stories coming out, but they always got a lot of these Mary Sues. And it says the Mary Sue character introduced in 1973 by Smith in the second issue of Menagerie mm-hmm. articulated a particular trope that exists far beyond the Star Trek universe. <laughs> and as they point out, it's no example, it's no accident that all the examples are women. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're saying... Uh, male filling characters can be brave and handsome and smart without reproach. Characters like Superman were placeholders for writers too, but those were boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that, different, so very, very different. So, oh, so um, amazingly strange that women would do this. Um, and the term, you know, caught on to the point where any, it's gone beyond. Um, you know, in in Star Trek fandom, in the the, the um, stories and everything, where any new female character is is called a Mary Sue, no matter mm-hmm. what. But now it's like people look at any female character in anything and say, oh, "That's a Mary Sue because she's good at her job." Jeez, you know, oh. it's it, it it really it gets uh, 
pretty ugly. It, it it does, and it's you know I see it even used for characters that aren't even that hyper competent. It, it's mm-hmm. just kind of any female character that's the main character that you're supposed to care about is suddenly yes. a Mary Sue. Which is weird. It's so weird because it's so different from what the original definition was supposed to be. You know, there, there's sort of a checklist, right? It's like mm-hmm. um, really, really. So it was, you know, Mary Sue, the youngest lieutenant in the fleet, 15 and a half years old, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody falls in love with her. And she can do everything extremely well, better than anybody else on the ship. Um Everybody falls in love with her, not just Captain Kirk. She saves the crew, and then she dies heroically in the end. So it wasn't just one of those things. It was like you mm-hmm. kind of had to have all of those things right. to make the character a real Mary Sue. Well, um, it says here, both can still vividly recall the submission that inspired Mary Sue. Mm-hmm. And I want to read this. Oh, the piece, which came in at 80 pages, double-sided. Oh, God almighty. <laughs> Centered around a young protagonist who was, of course, brilliant and beautiful, and ultimately proved her mettle by sacrificing her own life Uh to save the crew. Uh A tragic moment, which was upended when she resurrected herself. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the women, Smith wrote a parody of it and it began with gee golly gosh Gloriosky (laughs) and it says immediately upon coming aboard the USS Enterprise Mary Sue catches the eye of the debonair Captain Kirk who confesses his love to her and propositions a bedroom rendezvous after she, a 15-year-old girl, oh, after she turns him down scandalized Captain I am not that kind of girl Kirk immediately walks back the suggestion, you're right, and I respect you for it. <laughs> that line cracks me up so much. It's like, it's out straight out of, I don't know, the office or something, you know? Like, <laughs> it's so meta. <laughs> you're right, and, and I respect and he, you for that. <laughs> he says this before tapping her to watch over the ship as he fetches them coffee. <laughs> Next, she encounters Mr. Spock, who asks why she's sitting in the captain's chair. Once she explains herself, Spock calls the decision flawlessly logical. (laughs) And the story concludes after Mary Sue dies her heroic death. Afterward, Smith writes, the entire crew weeps. Oh, crap. Now my thing's jumping again. Okay. Unashamedly at the loss of her beautiful youth and youthful beauty. (laughs) intelligence capability and all-round niceness for good measure the enterprise turns her birthday into a national holiday on the ship so funny so very very funny (laughs) they have a reproduction of that story it's very short right it's like one Mm -hmm. page and they show it in its original typed format you know with the uh, looks like ibm selectric typewriter uh (laughs) font that's here so you can read this online if you don't want to try to strain your eyes looking at the reproduction of it but it's in the web archive somewhere so you can read it it's very funny i thought as a parody it was pretty deftly done you know yes it's it's got like the thing about um beautiful youth and youthful beauty you know it's it's (laughs) it's got a good touch to the satire i i love it i think but i have to say i'm very frightened by that drawing oh it's extremely frightening yes it's It's insane but she's got braces she does and there's a little flash there's a sparkle on her braces just the way davy jones used to have that sparkle in his eye uh yep it's it's really it's really very funny and uh you know they talk a lot well she says it right here uh sharon ferraro says science fiction fandom in general was like 80 percent men star trek fandom was the exact opposite at least 75 percent women if not more than that and it's nice to see that acknowledged again that Again, yes, was... by people who were actually there doing yep. the things. Yep, who were there. It's true. So I, yeah, this is a great article. It's really nice to see a magazine like Smithsonian getting back mm-hmm. down to the real history from the people who were there, from the people who did it, and to try to, you know, um, bring back that definition to what it originally mm-hmm. meant in, instead of kind of letting people run wild with it and saying, oh, it's a female character, therefore Mary Sue, therefore we right, should hate right. it. The one thing they didn't cover that I was I was waiting for it is um, they were saying the Mary Sue characters were, were uh, you know, harshly criticized 
And a lot of it came from men. And I thought, are you not going to talk about how the women reacted? Yeah, yeah. Because that's where I got my harshest criticism. Yeah, totally. Uh, it was, that was a whole other thing, right? Like, uh-huh. because it it's came... like the, the cliche of women are bitchy to women. You uh-huh. know, women don't want other women to succeed. Yep, yep. There's There was so much in the type of criticism that got leveled in female writing fandom. It was just, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I don't know that I've, well, I've seen a little bit of it in some of the books that I've read about fandom and, and uh, the writing that went on in there, but it, it's a result of just so many pressures and feeling ostracized and outsiders to start with, you know, that you had to mm-hmm. scratch and claw to hold on to a little bit of what you want. And also this huge fear of the outside world perceiving you in a certain way. I think that's where a lot of it came from, especially with Mary mm-hmm. Sue, like, you just did not want people writing what you thought was stupid because you didn't want other people to look at that and make fun of your group. There's that. And I noticed at one point, um, some of my major criticism was coming from people who did not write, but, you know, mm. who read the stories. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but feel, are you kind of jealous mm-hmm. that I've managed to make my fantasies or things that resemble my fantasies quote unquote real by writing them down mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm sure and I'm sure that's you you can't or don't or won't for whatever reason right and and that they that you weren't writing what they wanted right oh the, yeah there was the, that too yeah. <laughs> but, but you know the fact that they they couldn't or wouldn't write something but you could the fact that you could meant somehow you should be channeling their inner whatever and, yeah. and write what they were thinking. So not just that you were writing something different, it was that, that you could write at all and that you weren't writing exactly what they wanted because somehow you should be doing that. That's right. Which is ridiculous. Um, I, I wanted to say one other thing <clears throat> just about the, the, the self-insert part of it. You know, mm-hmm. which is another term that's, I think, gotten really bastardized in the way people talk about fan writing and fan fiction and stuff. And, the, you know, the truth of it is, anytime you write something, those characters are you. They're part of you somehow. Absolutely. Right? Every single character that's in there, whether they're good or bad or main characters or other characters, it has to be because it's coming out of your brain. So there's mm-hmm. something in it. And the self-insert really should be a term that's reserved for when it's literally a self-insert, which you see in so many of these horrible novels by, you know, middle-aged English professors who write about middle-aged, middle-aged English, English professors <laughs> who fall in love with their nubile young undergraduate students. Uh-huh. Like, okay, that's a self-insert. Um, I don't see how you can talk about, you know, Luke Skywalker as a self-insert because he's not you know, uh, a, a film director from Southern California. You know what I mean? It's like, he's mm. not really a self-insert. He's a, he's a, maybe a, a what you want to be, but it's not a self-insert. Mm-hmm. I mean, a self-insert really literally means you're taking you with all of your context, how you grew up and what you do for a living and your outlook on life and just transplanting it into a story yeah. without any kind of massaging that's that's what that means and i wish people would stop Mm -hmm. saying it for anything where well the author's a woman the main character's a woman therefore self-insert well and there's also and this is not self-insert but to me it's one of the pleasures of really really good writing is feeling like because the author's voice is so strong so clear so consistent you feel like you know him or her. And I have read one of the books where I felt that just so strongly was The World According to Garp. Mm-hmm. I read that and I just felt like, I know this guy. Not that I ever met anybody like it, but the story, the voice, everything was so clear mm-hmm. that I think me and probably a number of other people, you know, sort of, I don't know cross position the two that you know john irving is garp and garp is john irving or something but it's it's Mm -hmm. just that he's he's such a good writer yep exactly that's what good writers do they they are able to convince you that that voice is authentic even though it's a character 
Just yeah, like and the, that like these things actors. happen. They're completely, you know, believable. Yeah, and, and right, the same with acting. Like, that's yeah. how really good actors are. You're convinced that that's really who they are, the characters mm-hmm. that they're portraying. But no, it's acting. <laughs> it's acting. That's right. And and writers are actors with pens or typewriters yeah. or computers or whatever. But, um, yeah, they, there there is, a, to me, a big difference between that with people feeling that you are the character mm-hmm. just because you've done it so well and this self-insertion, which is annoying. Yeah, very. I was uh, thinking about this a little bit in terms of Bill, of course, because mm-hmm. there there are cases, right? Bill's a good example with Captain Kirk where oh, that yeah. character was essentially him and he was essentially that character and that happened for a lot of different reasons that we've discussed before. So sometimes it happens, right? Where right. the actor is the character because of circumstances and that doesn't mean that that actor can't do other characters that, that aren't mm-hmm. that person. It just happened to be uh, the Venn diagram overlapping in that particular case. Mm-hmm. And I was reading an interview from long ago with uh, John Pertwee, who was the third doctor. And okay. I, I happen to love him a lot as that character because it's just so weird and so different from everything. And he's just charming in this. this mm-hmm. So it's such an old fashioned way. Plus he's a flamboyant dresser and there's just a lot of good stuff in it. But um, he was primarily known as a comedian before he did Doctor Who. And he did a mm-hmm. lot of funny voices on the radio. And he, when they, they, his agent was like, you should read for this role. He's like, what the fuck are you saying? I can't do this. Like, this is not me. And the guy was like, no, you should try it. And it turned out that the BBC really wanted him for the role and he got it. And in this interview, he sounded just like Bill because he said, well, then I got the role and I said, oh my God, now I have to be Doctor Who. Um, Mm -hmm. And he had very little time to prep for it. And he looked at the shooting schedule and he's like, oh my God, I have to be this guy every day for this insane shooting schedule. How am I going to make this character? And he said, well, I guess it'll just be me. (laughs) <laughs> if mm-hmm. I was a Time Lord. And that's what he did. And the character yeah. just ended up basically being him as if he was, you know, a guy from Gallifrey. And it worked. Mm-hmm. For him, it yep. really, really worked because he was able to have so much of it reflect his own personality. And in that case, again, Venn diagram overlap. Not true for any of the other things that he'd done before that. But mm-hmm. for that, it really worked. So um, we should be happy when that happy accident occurs and an actor can really have that role be him or her. <laughs> And that's sort of um, inherent in the art, science, or whatever you want to call it, of television. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you're going to do it every day for 12 hours or more. And you're not going to have much prep time, if any. Which is why, to me, that's, that's a huge difference between good acting on TV and things like that and good acting on stage. Because mm-hmm. you go through weeks of rehearsal, yeah. adding layers and exploring what works and why this character does this. And, you know, so you really can build this person who's more or less outside yourself. It's mm-hmm. like a coat you put on or mm-hmm. something. Yep. And they're both, they're both legitimate, legitimate techniques. And there are stage actors who always play themselves. And most <laughs> movie stars who are big stars mm-hmm. are, it, it's more their, their personality is what put them there. And that's what they present. I mean, mm-hmm. John Wayne pretty much always played a certain type. <laughs> yep. That, this is right. A lot of the, the famous, famous movie stars, mm-hmm. Marlena, D- Marlena Dietrich was always Marlena Dietrich, no that's matter right. what role she was in. But that's what people wanted to see because she was such a fascinating person uh, and yeah. a fascinating character. So it, it's kind of amazing when you find people who aren't that character, right? On TV, mm-hmm. that is, not in the movies. I was thinking of uh, Cagney and Lacey, right? That, um, uh, I love that show. <laughs> so from what I've read, neither of those actors were really like their characters. Mm-hmm. Just personality-wise, the way they were in their real life. Mary uh, Mary Beth Daly, I think. She yeah. was totally different from her character in mm-hmm. every way that you could think of. And to see her really embody that person for however many seasons that show ran, amazing. What an amazing acting job. Oh, I know. You know, I used to watch it, and we would... She had... This whole Queen's thing down yeah. so perfectly. Yeah. Not just the accent, which was extraordinary, but the viewpoint, the husband, the kids. If, you know, if a Queen's 
mom was going to be a police detective, they'd be Mary Beth. Yep, exactly, exactly. She was so good and so inhabited that role and, Mm -hmm. and, and yet not her. So however she managed to pull that off, amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's why I think on television especially, it's really so much easier to be a guest star. Because mm-hmm. you don't have to play that close to you. You know, you're not going to be there every week. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ricardo Montalban is nothing like Khan or was. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> but he was just having a blast chewing up the scenery. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and, and speaking of that, I was watching uh, TJ Hooker the other night. So TJ oh, Hooker. Oh, really? Is, yeah. It's on, what the hell channel is it on? It might be on Cozy. It's one of those that, that right, shows, right. you know, the 70s rerun. So I've caught a couple of episodes. And this was an episode um, where Richard Hatch was the guest star. Pre-old uh, Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. He was very young. And he played sort of this psychopath who murdered women. And he kidnaps a woman and he drags her around and. It's, it's actually quite disturbing because they spend a lot of time focusing on how terrified this poor woman is that he's captured. And it's like, okay, could we stop doing that now? It's, yes. It's really yeah. upsetting. Uh, Bill gets to do one of the best gratuitous shoulder rolls I've ever <gasps> seen. And oh. I got to find it somewhere so I can do like a screen cap of it. But basically he's shooting at Richard Hatch who's shooting at him. And has he, you know, so they, they sort of stop and they shoot at each other and then they keep running. And um, Bill kind of stops and Richard Hatch points the gun at him, and he, he like literally just stops and then kind of darts to his left and does a shoulder roll oh. for no reason. It's it's brilliant. I love it. It's so good. Well, I want to see it because you know now when you say gratuitous shoulder roll and an extraordinary one, I think of the one in um the the Stanley Milgram oh, movie. Oh yes, the tenth level. Yeah. Yeah, tenth level. And the reason that one's extraordinary to me is the guy punches him not hard enough or through enough to cause him to fall on the ground like Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. but he falls on the ground he does his shoulder roll and he gets up and he looks at the guy like what just happened what did i do i'm like an acrobat you know i mean he looks really surprised that at himself oh my god (laughs) <laughs> so funny so bad well at least the shoulder row was in character for hooker and there were some yeah. other uh <laughs> nice action sequences where he got to he didn't get to roll over the hood of a car which really disappointed mm. me but he did get to to do some running and chasing and uh a few other things but so richard hatch who kind of has made his stock and trade of playing like a forthright you know, kind of mm-hmm. young, good-looking, leadery guys. He was totally playing against type in this as a psychopath, wow. and he, it was quite enjoyable to watch him, even in this terrible screenplay. And um, I think Bill might have been a little bit upset that he was getting a few scenes stolen out from under him. But oh. there you go. <laughs> also, you... Bill Toupe... Bill's Toupe oh. was very bad, very, Ooh. very bad. It was way too long and way too curly, and it looked like he had a wig on, not a toupee. Have you seen the movie? And I'm forgetting the name of it. Where Robert De Niro and Eddie Murphy play real cops, who oh, they make I, a reality show about, and they bring Bill in to I've coach only, them on how to be TV cops. I've only seen Bill's part where he shows him how to roll over the hood of a car. Yes, I. He does part. so many th- things, you know, subtle things. I mean, yeah, the roll over the hood is so funny, but you know, he'll he'll um you know he'll take the director aside and and say, oh, I think that guy's making really good choices or something. You know, it just <laughs> these these stupid actory things that just crack me up and i caught a good chunk of it the other day on tv i can't think of the name of it though uh i don't remember yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's is it like showtime or something i can't remember it's got the word show in yeah, it, so doesn't it, it, it yeah it doesn't yeah it does have show in it yeah maybe it is showtime yeah. anyway very very funny and i went and saw it in the theater because i like all three of those actors mm-hmm. and when he did the dive over the the car you know um, and fell off. Oh my God! I laughed so hard. <laughs> so <laughs> when he's showing him how how a cop comes through the door and how a cop tastes the powder to see if it's cocaine, <laughs> and Robert De Niro says, "You know, what if it was arsenic? Cops don't do that." <laughs> 
but they do on TV. That's they the important do. thing. You got to know they, these things. That's right. <laughs> that, is your, that is what you do. That is what people are expecting. You have to give them that. It's very important. Yep. Oh, man. Okay. Very funny. Hey, let's take a little break. We have more stuff let's to talk do that. about, but we've been yes. talking for a while. Okay. Everybody okay. just hang on and we'll be right back. We will. <laughs> Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Send us email at lookathisbutt at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and leave us a comment. Tell us your Trek news. So explain to me, what is mentrification? I will explain it to you. I ran across this article and I just went, this is so right on the money. <laughs> and it, it says, the, the headline is, Mentrification, How Men Appropriated Computers, Beer, and the Beatles. <laughs> beer. I know. It says, um, but it starts out talking about Star Trek. Star Trek fandom has already made legendary contributions to popular culture, but its latest sweet encapsulation deserves special recording in the dictionary. Earlier this month, the fan post on Tumblr mourned the lack of acknowledgement given to women as the source of the series' original popularity. They wanted to know when, quote, Star Trek stopped being perceived as light, fluffy, not really legitimate sci-fi that housewives liked Mm -hmm. and started being seen as serious nerd business that girls had to keep their (laughs) gross cooties off. Nerd business. (laughs) A reply repeated the question, but in regards to the Beatles, when did the group start to be remembered as rock legends rather than a silly boy band teenage girls liked? Another user answered, when men decided they liked them. Mm-hmm. And that is mentrification. I love that. When they move in on our territory, mm-hmm. like gentrification, and take it over and push out those who were already there yep it's true and i will say i actually saw that quoted on tumblr and i had that opened in a tab for the longest time and i would just (sighs) go back and read it because i was like yes that's Mm -hmm. exactly right well it says the original post went very very viral Mm -hmm. and it says if gentrification describes the process by which one quote unquote improves a place (laughs) so that it quote conforms to middle-class taste, mentrification achieves an equal status transformation by taking the history of female participation and achievement and festooning its narrative with fallacies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, it does. Uh, I think we've talked about the whole Beatles thing before, too. Mm-hmm. But that I, I see that reinforced all the time, and I'm glad that people who write about the Beatles and pop music are finally acknowledging that a lot of that early fandom was all women. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's You can't deny it. I, I, the picture that they chose, I have to say, for this article, which is in The Guardian, mm-hmm. I love this picture. I'm just looking at it right now. Yep. And I think it's supposed to be women at a, a Beatles concert. It doesn't actually say, but it looks well, like it. Well, the girl in the back has a sweatshirt and the part we can oh, see says It does B-E-A. say Beatles on it. Okay, so they're yeah. at a Beatles conference. Don't don't know whether this is U.S. or U.K. or whatever. Can I just say these women are amazing. Look at their clothes. Look at their amazing clothes. Mm-hmm. They look yep. so cool and so fashionable. There's two girls in the front that have leather or fake leather. leather jackets yep. on. There's another girl that has a, a collarless jacket. They all mm-hmm. have kind of cool hair and everything i love them all i just i'm looking at them like oh you are you guys are so cool you don't know how cool you are but you're so cool yep well this article in addition to the beatles and star trek you know goes into the uh early computer programmers Mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. were uh women but you never hear about them and uh, it points out that even the word computer used to refer to women mathematicians. Mm-hmm. The, the it, ones who did the computing. <laughs> yes. 
Um, and Grace Hopper, who wrote the first computer operating manual, a tech writer, if you will. <laughs> and uh, it, it's just, it says it took decades for these women's precise contributions to be identified. Their names weren't even recorded in photographs of the machines they tended because as women, it was assumed that the work they did must not have been very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yep, just the same between, you know, women who cook and chefs, right? Yeah. And it talks about Hedy Lamarr. And uh, mm-hmm. I watched that. You know, I knew that about her having invented the thing that eventually led to Bluetooth. But um, I watched the uh, documentary about her and she she was so smart. Mm-hmm. And she would be in a, a room full of men who weren't leering at her, who were seriously discussing science. She'd be the only woman there and she'd be right on their level. Yep, she was great, and she, I think she got tired eventually, Mm -hmm. you know, from all the pressure and was just, you know what, I can't fight this fight anymore. And really, who could blame her, right? If you were trying to be smart about things and really there was Mm -hmm. all the pressure from every single person to say, just shut up and look pretty, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yep. So it's a great article. I really like it. It it really is, and I I just... uh want to read this one thing. Mentrification is glib and funny, but it's also shorthand for a process that isn't as much about men versus women as it is about a traditional culture that is still, still gendered masculine mm-hmm. and whose behavior default is to masculinize anything that challenges it. Mm-hmm. The instinctive pull here is not towards fairness, but towards the unfairnesses we understand. I agree. I'm glad that the author, who's a woman, said that about it isn't men versus women. It's the perception, right? It's the right. the, the cultural perception of what this thing is and how it's history that got rewritten in a certain way because mm-hmm. of all the assumptions that, that underlie it. And it's very, very difficult to, to unwrite history. Yes, that, and it's not... It's, it's not a deliberate thing like, well, we've got to erase women from no. the picture. You know, it's just exactly what they're saying here. When men take an interest in it, it suddenly becomes important. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So great article. I'm glad you found really, it. Really, really good. good. Yeah. Yeah. On a similar note, I wanted to talk about this amazing thing that was an essay published on StarTrek.com. And it's called, uh, oh, Happy Pride Month, everybody, by the way. Oh, yes, yes. Um, How Captain Kirk Helped Me Define Masculinity and Find My Name. And it's by a person named James Factora. And James is a trans person who uh, I believe identifies as uh, queer and maybe non-binary or fluid anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, This James talks about the fact that they chose their name partly because of our captain, James C. Kirk, uh, but also talks about how important Star Trek was to find themselves and to find what their identity was. And I've read a lot of essays like this that, you Mm -hmm. know, even kids who are young compared to us, you know, who saw Star Trek in reruns and who watched TNG, whose real Star Trek was, you know, whatever was on when they were growing up, still felt the pull of the original Star Trek because it was on in reruns all the time and mm-hmm. just loved all the things that were expressed in there. So I wanted to read this this little section about um, our captain. Oh, captain, my captain, James C. Kirk. Um, here's what it says. And there's a beautiful picture of Kirk with some Kirk line on him. That's right above this. Um, <laughs> of course, because that's what you do, right? You got to yeah. find a picture. I mean, there's at least how many pictures? That is Kirk a beautiful Kirk light picture. So there's a picture at the the header is Kirk with a trans flag um, Mm -hmm. color over him from Star Trek II, and then there's um, young douchey Kirk. But then there's this beautiful picture, and then there's a picture of Kirk from Charlie X also. So and this article also has something really interesting to say about Charlie X. But go ahead. Oh yes, yes. So there's a lot of Kirk in here, which is great. Anyway, yes. Quote: I saw myself in this original iteration of Jim Kirk. Two, meaning aside from in the movies, or at least I wanted to. Shatner's Kirk was the epitome of masculinity. He's suave, cool, and collected, except for the occasional instances where his shirt inconveniently rips in battle. 
Beyond that, his masculinity is based on deep respect and love for his crew, for the diverse species he encounters in his travels, for the women with who he liaisons. While he has a strange reputation in pop culture as a womanizer, there's no real evidence to support that in TOS. That was the kind of masculinity I aspired to cultivate, one that was about care and not callousness. Yeah. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. And I love that the first thing mentioned is the deep respect and love for his crew. Crew, yes. So that phrase right there really, really sticks for me. It was about mm -hmm. care and not callousness. Yep. And for me, that actually is not to beat that dead horse too much, but that was the difference between movie Kirk, young douchey Kirk and mm -hmm. TOS Kirk that in the movies, it was about callousness. He didn't care about anything or anyone yep. besides himself. Except yeah. Well, those after... movies were an excuse to have blowing up and violence. Yeah. And... Yeah. yeah. So there was none of that deep love for his crew or anything, but yeah, isn't that what Kirk's all about? Care mm -hmm. and not callousness. I love that. Yep. It's so good. Uh, did you want to read some of the Charlie X stuff? Yes, and it, it, it's saying Charlie X was the second episode of TOS. Yeah. And they, they pick up the 17-year-old boy who grew up alone in the remains of a shipwreck and is unfamiliar with social mores. Is that how you say it, mores? Yes, mores. mores. Okay, uh -huh. good. Kirk literally has to teach him how to be a man, which he does in an intervention spurred by Charlie's harassment of Yeoman Rand. Mm -hmm. He urges him to be slow and gentle and not put pressure on women and teaches him that attraction is not a one-way street. Mm -hmm. When Charlie resists his teachings, Kirk tells him, Charlie... There are a million things in this universe you can have, and there are a million things you can't have. It's no fun facing that, but that's the way things are. Charlie responds, then what am I going to do? And Kirk says, hang on tight and survive. Everybody does. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's great. That is that, that whole thing with, you know, him, you know, protecting Rand from Charlie and, and, and that whole conversation. It is a very idealized picture of masculinity mm -hmm. but it's one of those reasons that i think original kirk shatner kirk is such a good role model mm -hmm. absolutely and they set him up i mean that's mm -hmm. his function in that episode is to be the role model and to he be is. a father figure to yeah. charlie yes. he really is despite the fact that he's not a father well of course we find out later he is but you yeah. know he hasn't raised kids and yet he is that role model for the guy you mm -hmm. want to look up to and emulate. And I, I, I know I bring this up a lot, but I just find it so telling that um, Jar Jar Abrams said, you know, the reason he changed Kirk so much for the movies was because I watched that and, and I don't know who that guy is. I can't relate to that guy. So he made a jerk and that's who he relates to. <sighs> yeah. Let's not have Kirk be a jerk. No, no. But yeah, this is another great article. I really feel like this this week we really, or this show, we really got a harvest of great articles to did. go through. So I would encourage everybody to go read this article because it's really good. It's very mm -hmm. well written. And there's a lot of other points that we haven't covered in here. But I, I just love the, the premise of it, which I think is exactly right. And just, mm -hmm. it's always really touching and good to read about how Star Trek was so important to somebody who was having a hard time, how it helped yes. them, you know, realize mm -hmm. that, that there were things that you could aspire to and people that you could emulate. And even though your life can suck a lot, you can lose yourself in this amazing optimistic fantasy world. And you hold on tight and survive. You just survive. Yep, exactly. Because that's what Kirk would do. Yep. <laughs> Well, I would like to finish off with just something very short. Um, our friend Frederick, who runs the uh, Star Trek, My Star Trek Scrapbook um, Blogspot, but he uses Blogspot just like us, old school. Yeah, old um, school. <laughs> yeah, he he published on his blog a set report from somebody who actually went to the set of Day of the Dove way back in the day. They had been invited by Nichelle and they got to walk around and see things. And it, it's pretty fun to read about what that was like. This was published in a fanzine, um, you know, in the early 70s, I think. So not that long after the show is over. Mm -hmm. But um, of course, I was reading for the Bill stuff, which I uh, was course. good. And so I, I just wanted to read this one little section because I thought this was really nice. And the whole set visit experience, as always, really 
brought up the fact that it was a happy set. People were having a good time. They're joking around with each other. You know, it wasn't miserable. People weren't hating on each other. There weren't like venomous looks being shot across screen or people being difficult. Mm-hmm. It really seemed like they were getting along. So let's let's remind ourselves that it was a happy set. That they had a good time making this Yes. Show. So the author of this says, uh, the show being filmed that day was Day of the Dove, and the scene underway when we arrived was the one in which, in engineering, near the end, where Kirk convinces Kang that they must stop fighting. They were shooting a close-up of Kang in that take. Normally, an assistant director or anyone handy would have been reading in the lines of the characters Kang was supposedly talking to, but Shatner was there waiting for the following scene anyway, and he had volunteered to read the lines. So there he stood, reading with equal fire and passion the lines for Kirk Spock and Kang's wife Mara (laughs) and I just was like oh imagine that imagine watching Bill reading Mm -hmm. Kirk's lines Spock's lines and Kang's wife Mara in character for each one of those you know Mm -hmm. as a favor to the Michael Ansara the guy who's playing Kang well and also I think um because probably one of the worst things in the world to Bill is to be bored. Yes. And if he wasn't doing that, he'd be sitting there going, get this done, get this done, I'm bored, I want to do my scene. You know, and uh-huh. instead, he found a way to be productive and helpful and do something. Yeah. So, again, there's Bill, you know, being cooperative, being a good actor, helping out his actors and not being a prima donna and a diva or any of that stuff. And it wasn't like he was doing it because there was somebody doing a set visit. That's just what he would do. Mm-hmm. So, so there. <laughs> well, kind of wrapping up here. This will be quick. I posted an article to our Facebook probably yesterday. But just to give you some background, this week is like the 30th anniversary of Star Trek V's opening. Yes, so there have been happening. articles galore on why it's so bad, why it's not that bad, why I love it. <laughs> that, but, you know, and if you look back, you know, and I, I, I anyway. But there was an interview with um, the woman, I don't know the character name, but she was uh, the Asian woman who had the top knot hair. Oh, yes, she was the Romulan um, uh, ambassador. That's who she okay. was. She was the Romulan yes. ambassador. I read that. What a great article. It was a great article. And she just not goes on and on, but she says so many nice things about Bill as a director, yes. how well he handled his actors, and how she was so surprised later to find out that he was on a daily basis almost having fights with the studio over budget and this and that, and none of that was ever communicated to the actors. Yep. It was like, you know, he'd get to the set, and he's ready to work, and that's what they're going to do. Yep. And uh, so I urge you all to go read that. Yeah, it's great. And she's had a long career since then. Mm-hmm. Um, she's done different kinds of acting. She hosts a cable TV show. I think the reason that they did this interview, too, was that she was going to her very first Star Trek convention. Yes, yes. And, and I, it, she was, it seemed like she was a little hesitant, like, I don't know, mm-hmm. are people actually going to come and see me and want my autograph? And it's like, oh, honey, you don't know what it's going to be yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, it'll change your life. It'll well, change you know, your life. it also reminded me, though, um, Lawrence Luckenbill, who played Cybok. Mm-hmm said uh and he didn't he didn't elaborate on this i'd love to know more and he said bill is the only director who ever said anything useful to me (laughs) you know who gave him a direction he could actually use Mm -hmm. so that sounds right that sounds right Mm -hmm. Um, i I would like to read just the end of her interview because it cracked me up so okay go ahead as we said she was uh she she perceived her character as half romulan and half terran that wasn't in the script but that was her interpretation of it so whatever uh and (laughs) the name of her character was caitlin dar so she says um I can't wait to meet everybody at my con- at the convention. Please come by my booth and say hello. I am thrilled to see you, and I am grateful that Caitlin Dara has so many friends. Just remember, if you appeal to the more humanistic and Terran side of Caitlin Dara, she can be friendly and sweet. But if you piss her off, however, her full-on Romulan kicks in. So, in that instance, be prepared to die. I think she's going to be great at the convention. Oh, my God. That made me laugh so hard. I was just like, wow, that's awesome. So good on you. I hope she's doing great at conventions and getting her picture taken and just everything. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh. So anyway, let's wrap this up, as you say. And uh, you and I are going to be seeing each other in person pretty soon. So, so soon. Yeah. Maybe we'll have time to do a, a little podcast while we're there at your place. Um, that'd be cool. Maybe we could watch a thing and talk about it. Who knows oh, yeah. what will happen? Maybe we there'll be a have... drunken podcast even. <laughs> Wee! That could happen. It could. We'll see what the weather's like. So in any case... Um, Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We will be back, of course, with new things. Let us know what's going on. Send us news, as always. Um, Bill's been arguing with people on Twitter. So, you know, if you're in the mood for seeing him talk to people who are angry about Misha Collins, like, I don't even understand half of what's I don't. <laughs> it's like, whatever. And don't get stem cell treatments. Just don't. It's a bad Just idea. Just don't. Yeah, please don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, So thanks, listeners. We love you all. And we'll be back soon with another episode. So until then, live long and And potluck. Okay, bye. (laughs) Bye.